0: hi everyone welcome to today's episode of the self-sabotage show I'm here with Tony from uh, Indianapolis in the US and we have a very interesting guest for you today to share his personal story so I'm really looking forward to the interview today with Tony and uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone please Tony
1: yeah uh, I'm Tony and I live in uh, Indianapolis Indiana Tony Longabardi and I um I live yeah in Indi- Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was welcomed onto the show from Damien and we're going to talk a little bit about my story, um, some difficult things, I think <laughs> and, um, and some hopefully some you know, good little tools and tidbits to help everybody on their own self-sabotage journey.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Tony, and we really appreciate you reaching out to uh, be a guest with us today because um, your story is quite unique and uh, I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to you being able to share it with our listeners today. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. How would you describe what you do now and and your your background as to uh, how you got to do what you're doing? Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. So right now um, I repurposed my life along this, you know, um, the pandemic journey. I uh, decided that I, I, I just wanted to stop trying to live in this four wall brick and mortar style industry that it prob- may not exist in a year. So um, I decided to become a life coach, which is a passion of mine that I've always had in my social circles. I've always been that uh, friend that everybody goes to um, for whatever reason. Um, that I've always been that friend that everybody goes to.
2: He says, "Can
1: you help me with this? Can you help me with this my relationship, baby mama." living situation, my parents, my drug usage, whatever it may be, um, I was always there. So as I grew in skill set, grew in education, grew most importantly in confidence, I was able to really change what, what I what what I, I think that I am capable of, right? Because I, I was a bartender forever because that's what all I thought I was worth. Right? And finally, I was like, you know what? I have the courage. I have the skill sets. I'm going to try. Was, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to fail, so, um, and all of this was, has kind of been bred out of my journey as a kid, like, I was adopted when I was two, um, I was found in the shed in Alaska, um, I went through foster home, and foster home, and foster home, and finally got adopted into a um, a very nice, abusive, emotionally, and physically family that put on a good mask, so um, when uh, when the the foster care workers were around. It was all glory. Everything was beautiful. Jesus praised everything, right? But behind the door, behind closed doors, it was very, very different. Um, and so after about 10 or 15 years of that, um, my mom, uh, during the, you know, internet surge of, of, of you know, uh, texting and messaging um, it, in the 90s, um, she found a Canadian guy and um, she, they went off to marry each other. Well, his well, he moved up to be with her. His wife in Canada committed suicide, so they went to go clean all that up and um, ended up getting married and left me and my me and my brother. So, um, and we had to figure it out. And so, at, I was I was fourteen. My son, my brother was nine. Um, he went to stay with his dad. I was not having it anymore. So, just been wandering since. Um, so from that point to about 20, um, I was homeless, you know, um, living on the streets in and out of, um, hostels, abandoned buildings, streets, whatever I could find myself. Um, at the worst of it, um, I think months at a time, I was living homeless on the streets, uh, in, in Alaska, in Anchorage, Alaska. And, um, some of those nights were tough, right? Through the winter, negative degrees, um, but but outside of that uh, after that that I think that wasn't even the hardest part right the physical homelessness of course you know being a young age it's what happened after you know how do I get that out of my head mm-hmm. how do I have the courage and confidence to know that I'm worth more
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that was the next from 20 to about 30 30 roughly 32 um I was trying to stop living the lifestyle on the streets so, uh, not uh, feeling like I need anything the fear of my, my next meal, my sleeping, how to get fired for something that I wore that day. I don't know. That's a part of it. Is there more that I should share with? Um, so yeah, that led me into, um, life coaching. And I also, in, when I turned 30, I did this mankind project retreat, um, and, uh, kind of like a men's weekend ritual journey that some people consider kind of cultish. Um, It has a lot of uh, sacred nature to it um, that I don't experience a cult. Um, And it really helped me find courage, uh, be accountable, and, and start using some more tools to emotionally stabilize myself. And now I'm the leader here in Indianapolis and, um, yeah, it's an international organization and I repurposed my life into coaching and I'm really trying to create this message on what healthy masculine looks like mm. in our social, in our social groups. Um, we're talk, we talk a lot about toxic masculinity, right? Mm. We all know what that term is. What is the opposite of
0: that? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, Tony. And thank you so much. It's such a, st- a story. I mean, wow, it, you didn't tell me all of that in, when
2: we when we first spoke. So, um, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg yeah, too, right? That's yeah. just the,
1: the broad. Before, before sure. I even really get into like my mom, my mm. a, a biological mom and her drug usage and prostitution, and she was wow. 14 when she had me too, maybe 13, wow. something like that. Wow. So um, there, there's more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I don't want to wow. start janking out any tears here. It's just it's
0: just that's my experience, my story. Your, your story and your journey. So one of the things that you spoke about, which I was I was absolutely blown away by, was when you were experiencing your period of homelessness between 14 mm-hmm. and 20, and you were mm-hmm. saying that it was so cold in I mean Alaska is one of the coldest places, right? Um, and you were saying that you would literally walk all night to avoid being frozen to death, because if you'd have stayed still out in the in the open homeless in Alaska, you'd have frozen to death. So tell us a little bit about that experience. What what must have you been thinking about at at that point?
1: Yeah, um, so I don't know, I wasn't really thinking about a lot outside of like, I wasn't ever victim myself, I'd never victimized myself, right? Um, I, in those moments, we there was opportunities for me to live in shelters and things like that, but they had rules. I didn't want to follow the rules. Mm. So I chose, which a lot of homeless people do. We choose living on the streets because of the freedom we get to live by our own rules, get as drunk or as hammered on whatever drug that we want and live by our own rules. So we choose that. And I 100% um, did not want to follow rules. So they would kick me out and I wouldn't have anywhere to go. And so in, in those deep Alaskan, winter months um it would get below below 20 fahrenheit below 40 fahrenheit and um a lot of times what i would do is uh, i would walk to the gas station i just go to the gas station and inside the bathrooms and gas stations are fans right mm. and i would just warm my hands warm my feet in the bathrooms and then oh, i would sleep wow. during the day because the because a lot of the day shelters um that they, they didn't really kick Anybody out? Like you, you left for the day, but you can come back the next day because mm-hmm. they understood. Like, a kids and people that are homeless are dealing with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mostly um, undiagnosed mental illnesses or undiagnosed trauma of some sort, mm-hmm. and that's what we all experience. So behind all of those drug usages, or those drug addictions is something traumatic. Mm-hmm. That nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Leading them to leading them to that evil place.
0: Yeah. Know? So the the title of our show is the self-sabotage show. So uh, let's lead that on to the conversation around sabotage. So what areas of your life in particular do you
2: identify where you experience self-sabotage? Tell us about Mm -hmm.
1: that. Yeah. So
2: um, when I talked about how I got off of the streets,
1: when I was finally like I had an apartment or I had a place, a little room in an apartment for the last next, or for the next 10 years from 20 to 30, that's where my, I'm still today, exactly. I, I, I try to go to the gym because I sabotage my own physique. You know, I, or I self-sabotage. I think of myself as an ugly, homeless, skinny kid. You know, all messages my dad gave me. Um, and then, uh, so in my mid twenties, I was emotionally un, not just not prepared for life. Nobody taught me these um, I, mean, I had an extreme story, but it's not like you go to school and they teach you about communication through stress. You know, communication skills—they like don't teach that. So it's just academic-based, and that's cool if you're going to be in work your whole life, or if you're going to be in some kind of classroom your whole life, which generally aren't part of our life. But how that works for me is, I a lot of times I would um, tell myself before I even tried, "Not, this is not going to work." And even though I wasn't necessarily a victim, I had pretty good charisma, charisma and confidence and such. I was, deep down, I was like, oh, I mean, who do you think you are? Don't talk to her. She's just gonna reject you. She knows it's to you. you have acne. One eye is not the right, everything's not perfect. So um, a lot of times I would self-sabotage my own physical agenda.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's down to, you know, one of our principal saboteurs that we all have, which is the judge. And so inside all of us, we judge ourselves, we judge others, and we judge our circumstances. So we're very hard on ourselves from that perspective. And it's often where we hear that inner voice of you know somebody of authority that might have spoken down to us or even just the inner voice that convinces ourselves that we're not good enough and that we start to believe that and we start to get hypnotized by our unconscious saboteur and our unconscious ego, our thoughts, emotions, our beliefs. They, they start to actually sabotage us and sabotage our results. And we believe it and we start to then reinforce it because the unconscious is programming the subconscious mind and so the subconscious goes out and looks for that to say no problem leave it with me you want to you know show up as the skinny kid I'll I'll give you a circumstance to prove that's going to happen so uh, yeah that's definitely sabotaging what what other areas? It's so slippery too right it's so
1: slippery like our unconscious is so slippery my own self-justifier on why I do these things like this I tell myself it's because I want to be attractive but truly because I don't want to be nothing
2: Mm. I don't
1: feel this way it's because I have this inner dialogue that says I'm not enough. To judge, you yeah. suck. You're terrible. You're ugly. You're mm. skinny. You're X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter.
2: Right?
1: Mm. But, mm. but I tell people and I run this story about all these good things that I want to be. And say, I'm this little it's you're a boy. You're scared. You're
0: fighting
2: called names. you hungry. You're cold.
0: Mm. Mm. And you, you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself to, to obviously have this awareness and this depth of understanding about yourself and your saboteurs, because many people don't get to this point. But there were some other areas, I think you mentioned that, that kind of get affected by the sabotage. So tell us a little bit about how this kind of manifests
2: into other areas of your life and how it impacts you. Yeah, um, your relationships specifically is a big one, you know, um, especially
1: romantic relationships. You know, I, I never feel like I'm enough in a romantic relationship. So envy, jealousy, things like that come up. And then also as, as a parent, you know, I'm a single dad. Um, and some of the hardest days of my life are disciplinary actions with my, with my child. Because I don't, I want to be everything as far as I can be away from who my father was. Mm. And the fact that I can tell my son no sometimes and have to be stern with him. And I have that voice, right? I, he gave it to me. My dad gave it to me no matter how much I want to believe. I don't have it or I'm nothing like him when I get angry or when I get frustrated or when I need to be stern, that voice that I'm so scared of comes out Mm, mm. and I sabotage myself. I'll cry myself to sleep. I'll cry myself in the shower. My son will never see it. Mm, mm. You know, um, and it's probably one of the hardest things that I do. So uh, that sabotage comes into you know, mm. overcompensating.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so in terms of the kind of going into the impact around that, and and I'd love to. We, we will talk more about toxic masculinity sure. because you just sort of yeah. mentioned something there that touches on that, but yeah. uh, and we'll come to that. So. Tell us a little bit about the sort of the impact it's had and, and the suffering that that's caused you then in these
2: uh, relationships and, and with your son as well. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, so I have been divorced now for four years. Um,
1: I, I don't see here's the sabotage coming in right now. I, <laughs> I tell myself I can't be in a relationship.
2: Mm. That's mm.
1: what I tell myself. That's the dialogue. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's
1: the dialogue. I can't be in a relationship because I'm busy because I'm, I'm doing this because I, I emotionally can't give 100%. I can't put a, a relationship number one because of how I felt as a kid and the trauma I experienced, I can't put a relationship above my son, which right, should be okay. At the same time, um, find yourself alone. I find myself alone. Right. right. So, um, So, I got divorced. I've been in long term relationships. None lasted more than three years. Uh, That most previous relationship was a year, um, about a year ago. Uh, Not that I've given up hope. I just um, I I don't know if I have the capacity to love as hard and deeply as I used to. Becoming jaded as we all do when we get older, right? there being relationships or not part of my emotional homelessness that goes into that too. I, I, really, I would rather be alone
2: mm. and, and
1: work through the issues of, of the relationship. And then um, another piece that I didn't talk about. I'm a big runner. Mm. I, I, I ran away from home, I ran away from my dad, I ran away from my problems. When it gets too stressful, too too intense. I run because I'm scared of the, of getting beat up. I'm scared that once those conflicts happen, what I know is pain. That's what I know. Abuse. That's what I know. And and not that it's never happened in my relationships. You know, my, my marriage was definitely physically and emotionally abusive. Um, and, and what I did was I just married people that made me feel
2: like, but I'm home.
1: I'm married abusive women, was right? in relationships with toxic women mm. um, because that's where I felt safe. That's where I felt closest to home. Mm. I felt like, even though on the on the exterior, but that's I'm more about that. But yeah, part of this sabotage is my running, my my fear of conflict. Um, part of it is, is the idea that I can't be in a relationship. Mm. So that's specific to romantic relationships. I mean, I'm Pretty big introvert Um, outside of that, as far as friendly relationships, I, um, because I've only been able to rely on myself, right? Another story I tell myself. Mm. Because if I rely on somebody else, they're just gonna let me down. And what I did in from 14 to 25 roughly was all by myself. Mm. So when I have that kind of success rate, why am I gonna risk
2: it, leaving somebody else?
0: i mean really what you've experienced in that part of your life and and particularly the the homelessness is is really the way you describe it is like a real survival instinct right down to the physiological you know you've got to make sure that you stay warm and you've got to find today's meal and avoid getting into conflict with people on the street because that's a very dangerous place when you're on your own you know that, that's just the the coping mechanisms of of running are are almost like understandable because you know, clearly there's some real trauma that you've experienced and and so it's natural that in a survival moment, you know, your instinct is the adrenaline gets pumping and the adri- instinct is to run and to fly um, because you know that that's where you can get safety. You can run away from a situation and you can find safety. So mm-hmm. we do that. And you you mentioned emotion, emotional homelessness. So tell, tell us a little bit more about it. Describe that in a bit more detail.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks. This is a topic that I think a, a, a TED talk was done about me and my story, um, a TEDx talk, uh, because uh, I just don't think that people, when when they're homeless, I don't think that people really understand that there's an emotional aspect to it. There's a, there's a freedom to the homelessness. There's a, a do what I want type of homelessness, which ties into freedom, but um, you don't, you, we don't have any responsibilities, we don't have any issues with, with partners or, or rules or, or boundaries. There's nothing that we, It's stopping us. So and that's the, kind of the freedom and the, and the positive that a lot of people can't get, get past. But once they're able to accept that that is not worth their own safety anymore, they start to have to transition right? from homelessness or the physical homelessness to the, the physical home. And, but that doesn't change the emotional part of the inside, the stuff we don't talk about, stuff 90% of the world doesn't talk about, but also runs 100% of the world. Um, So the emotional part of it is not only do I have to now go, I have a home to live in. I can't go to X, Y, and Z houses. I have to somehow find a job to support and to keep this thing. And to finding a job, I have to also listen to a boss who is going to give me, uh, uh, negative feedback, or a teammate, or a customer, or somebody else, and all of these responsibilities, are, and sometimes so hard and so triggering from our previous trauma that
2: it's too much.
1: So it's unsafe. So that job becomes our trauma, that responsibility becomes our trauma, and that house now becomes our trauma. Yeah. So, I'm safer, which is what I felt for six years. I'm safer on the streets yeah. Yeah. than I am dealing with the torment of my boss telling me that I didn't do a good job. Because I know that next step is black eye, bloody nose, broken rib, broken arm. Yeah. All things I've experienced. Someone who tells me, I just want to love you. Yeah. Why don't you just let me
0: love you? I'm your father. Bruises,
2: hmm. say. That. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And that you know, there would be many people listening now that have probably never experienced anything like that, and there may be people listening that have experienced that type of level of um, physical abuse. And. What could you say to them that would, you know, somehow help them to understand that there is a different, a different path or a different way in the future? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it takes work. Mm-hmm. It takes work. Um, what I would say to anybody that is listening, that is experiencing something similar,
2: um, it's going to take work, and it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable, um, and and you have to push.
1: Through. If it's physically and emotionally abusive, like really really do some work on it. If it's physically and emotionally abusive, definitely do something else. But we have to work through our trauma. We have to work through it because I, every, every chance that I get, I'm working through the things that happen to me. So I don't um, so I don't relive the cycle. I don't keep the cycle going so I'm not inflicting these on my, my son or my circle. Um, But really, really start looking at it. unpack the trauma. Unpack the fear. Um, Start really looking at it and be honest with yourself. God, of all things, be honest,
2: stop lying to yourself. Mm. It's okay to not be okay yeah yeah exactly that sums it up beautifully and we talked at the
0: beginning a little bit when we touched on the subject of toxic masculinity and i know that's something you're quite passionate about and you mentioned again that you don't want to pass on these things to your son and you're trying to change the pattern mm-hmm. and so explain to the listeners about the toxic
2: masculinity and, and what that means to you and and how you're trying to you know address that yeah yeah thanks um toxic masculinity is uh, something that we we, in the
1: Mankind Project, which is a male um, group, a men's group, um, we talk a lot about all the things that we do in the world and all the things that we see in the world that are toxic, you know, like misogyny, abuse, power differential, money, greed, um, uh, using our status to get a no, claim to fame, using our status to, to get women, using our status to get romantic relationships, power. Um, so all of that stuff is toxic masculinity. You know, e- even, you know, trying to um, be competitive in our friend groups where we, you know, um, talk negatively about somebody else because we want to show that we are more dominant. This is all toxic stuff. So what I'm trying to create is another conversation, you know, where I've created a t-shirt line that, that just says healthy masculine energy. And it's an invitation right, to a conversation. What does it look like to you? To me, it looks different. I'm a I'm a male, and I I'm, I am I want to be okay in my a asex um, or my um, uh, heterosexuality. I want to be okay in that. Mm. I want to be okay loving my brothers too, right? I want to be okay in my my women's circles too, right? Where I'm able to be that guy who's really going to listen to you and not try to get in your hands. Mm. I want to be that guy who's gonna. Um, hug my brother because his wife just left Let him cry on my shoulder, but not call him gay. Not make fun of him because he's sad or call him weak, call him a victim. I want to be that friend, my healthy masculine friend who doesn't care what your gender is, loves you as a person, and is willing to say that, willing mm-hmm. to be close to you. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to invite these conversations wherever I go where yeah, I, I wear a shirt that says i I want to create that safe place mm.
0: That's beautiful. Thanks, Tony. That's a, a lovely yeah. vision as well. And, you know, I, I've noticed that the, the level of consciousness seems to be rising worldwide, you know, globally, mm. with, with people becoming much more aware of not just the fact that toxic masculinity exists, and that it's on, you know, there's an agenda. Um, but also, you know, the fact, the fact that it, it affects so many women as well. Um, and the, the fact that we have denied women's power, for centuries almost writing them out of history and writing them out of you know all the major religions often are very male dominated etc so it's, it's almost as if we've kind of gone to this extreme where we think that only one gender actually should be, you know, in charge of everything. And clearly, we know from our experience and research, it proves that actually, it's far better if there's a balance where females can embrace their masculine energy, but not be overpowered by it men can embrace their feminine energy and not be overpowered by it and be balanced with this letting go of the toxic masculinity and it's something which I've I've found you know for me in the workplace for example I was always repelled by toxic masculinity it would be people would totally you know I'd be totally rejecting it and uh, and wanting to run away from it and yet I struggled with you know giving up uh, addiction to to binge drinking and part of that would be a culture of you know let's drink and drink and drink which is a kind of you know some something which is is mentally and psychologically is a an avoidance Um and I'll talk about more about that on another podcast episode but the point is that we we create these habits and these lifestyles where it's then difficult to break those patterns and toxic masculinity is one of those patterns which you know, when you're growing up and, and everyone's saying to, you know, you know, big boys don't cry. And, you know, you're, you know, you're, you've got to be in charge and show that you're tough, etc. You know, it's just yeah, so, it's, so damaging, isn't it? You know, to, to the kind of It's tied into the fabric of
1: who
2: we
0: are as a mm.
1: culture. It's mm. tied into this whole, um, it, but it's generational, right? It's not just our fathers or our grandfathers. It's generational. We've been telling people to get to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and man up for a long time. Mm. You as a man need to do this, or you as a woman need to do this, right? Where I, as a man today, I want to be that nurturing man. Mm. Mm. I want to be that listening friend, which are all generally very feminist traits, right? Men don't, masculinity doesn't listen, which is what we're told, but like it's all tied into the fabric of socially and culturally who we are. Mm. And um, it's going to take a lot of work to, to untie that knot and let it be, just who we're gonna be. And I just wanna start the conversation.
2: Yeah, right? exactly. I wanna yeah.
1: tell anybody who they are. Like, cause I know a lot of, like, my ex wife is is very masculine, mm. very strong masculine energy. And that's why we work well, because I'm very strong feminine energy, right? Talk to me, talk to me, you know, express to me, express to me, uh, nurture, nurture, nurture. I wanna cook, I wanna clean, I wanna help, I wanna support. Um, and then, I fight too right so my dad taught me that but there's a trigger or there's a there's a there's a flip switch there's a switch to it. and mm-hmm. it, it in in everybody it's different and what I what I want to say with this message is everybody is all
0: yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that whole balance of, you know, where the feminine and the masculine are living together, you know, there's like a difference in how we, how we operate and there's a difference in how we think. And when you can find that perfect moment where you're, you've got the perfect balance of the feminine and masculine and they've got the f- perfect balance, it's, it's a beautiful
2: thing. But as soon as it becomes and, imbalanced, it it's, gets distorted. And it's just a social oppressive construct. Hmm. This is all what we've created. As a
0: social construct that we can choose
1: and use to oppress people, to tell people you need to do this
0: yeah it's it's definitely systemic you're right tony i mm-hmm. think uh, you know when we look at the systemic problems of how we change that you've got to look at the education system you've got to look at mm-hmm. religion you've got to look at the way we govern we've got to look at the rules we've got to look at you know just about everything in in life that that is um part of a system has uh, has probably come to a point where we need to review it and and mm-hmm. you know like this there's this big talk of project reset which is a, again a whole another podcast series on mm-hmm. its own um, Um, But, uh, you know, we've come to a point where the consciousness is definitely rising and uh, this systemic change is coming. So explain a little bit about how you then try to ensure that your son gets that balance of that, you know, doesn't get the toxic masculinity, but at the same time doesn't get away with, you know, being who he wants, when he wants, without following rules, because there there are certain boundaries we have to have for children and conscious parenting is about setting those boundaries and and giving them lovingly and and caringly and
2: nurturing. So tell us about that, explain that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, right? Because as we talked about the social construct, um, in this
2: his school system,
1: um, he learns a lot of these lessons that I have to unlearn a lot of times. And really what I try to teach him is like, um, we have this saying, We're good to people's hearts. That's that's just plain baseline. If it's good for your heart, if you're being nice to their heart, then it's okay. Um, outside of that, like we I don't I don't really this is who we are. This is who This is what we do. This is who we are. We're good to people's hearts. We're good. We're, we, we try. We work our hardest. We ask questions. You know, we love genuinely, authentically. And we we express it. When he gets emotional, he's incredibly emotional. I'm emotional, but this kid is emotional. <laughs> and and I try to. I, I you know. Okay, let, let's sit with it. Which is something we don't do we're not taught anywhere let me sit mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. men fix it women listen
2: mm-hmm.
1: let's just sit um so i sit with him and we, we work through it i let him calm down i try not to get too tr- triggered by it because i'm usually like trying to get him to do something and he's like getting emotional and I'm, nothing's getting done and then we're late mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah be good to people's hearts
0: yeah and, and that's beautiful, Tony, and that's such a great philosophy to have and a great kind of mantra and a great way to bring up kids as well to teach them that. But a lot mm-hmm. of people maybe who are listening, are, you know, might have strong religious beliefs, for example, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they would probably really be drawn to that and say well you know that's what being a christian is about or that's what being someone in a you know in whatever religion they might follow uh, whatever whatever philosophy or religion they might believe in it's like the way you've described it is almost like what the teachings are about being a good person and how you love others and serve others etc so how do you kind of get the balance between the religion and that that kind of just being a really nice person yeah, uh, that's a tough question. That's a tough
1: question. I, I have not seen the good heart of religion that you speak of. Mm. My religion is beaten into me. Mm. So I don't know what that looks like.
2: Mm. I've
1: heard of it, right? I've heard of it talked about with pastors in their million dollar planes, million dollar mansions. I've heard of it, sure. But what I what I, tr- what I would kind of like encourage people is like, we all are um, trying to anchor in some kind of definition into something. Like what does it mean? Where do we get this? How do I anchor this and define it so that I can give them reason to keep going? Okay. How do I justify? Like I have my own big inner self justifier, right? I, <laughs> so um, this is a way I think that people will use to anchor their, this is why we do this. Because you want X to happen to you, karma to happen to you, or you want uh, forever living with Jesus or whatever it may be. They, all of these different things tied into some kind of structural plan. Um, when the structural plan should just be, just be a good person. Hmm. Just be good. Who cares what happens after that? Who cares what the end goal is? To be a good person, good things will happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's about that consciousness and that kind of, you know, really understanding yourself and understanding others to such a degree where you can have empathy and compassion for that person and not judge them in any way, shape or form. And that, to me, I think uh, a lot of religions stray into judging others, whether they believe in something that they believe in or whether they practice, you know, in a very... um, orthodox way or a very mm. unorthodox way and whether they attend or or don't attend a particular service or a uh, uh, reading that type of thing so i think there's there's like yeah, such I, a, I,
1: I don't want to discredit anybody exactly, no, exactly. no no you no every, everybody is welcome whatever you use to to encourage this type of goodness in you wherever it comes from please continue that yeah
0: the, yeah
1: the absolutely. goodness part of it because mm, mm. my grandmother which is my grandmother was a Christian, going to church all the time, beat her religion into my dad, who transformed that and beat that into me.
2: Mm.
1: She would, my sisters, my aunts, or well, not my sisters, but my aunts, my dad's sisters, um, would tell would tell him stories about when they would go out on dates with boys back in the '60s or whatever it was, and how my mom would figure out if they were with a man or if they if they, got, if they lost their virginity, can you guess how she would do that?
2: Oh man, I don't even want to know.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. So
1: it, the worst place that you could think of for her to try to guess if she's been with a man or, or the thing goes, her daughters have been with a man is how she figured that out Whoa. as a, as a Christian woman. Wow. And that's what my, that's how, what my, that's how my dad learned how to parent.
2: Mm. So,
1: what I did was everything that he did and said just do the opposite. Mm-hmm. There's some things that, you know, mm-hmm. there's some things that are like his humor. I haven't seen him. He's, mm-hmm. you know, in, in most times he was pretty funny until that, that switch. And I try to like, dull that switch a little bit as I get older mm-hmm. and, and as I try to, him, But you know, um, yeah, religion is tough for me. Mm. and and i don't want to discredit it on, on mm. this show or to anybody else because mm. it's a, a really good place women it's, when it's done with good people
0: Yeah, I I know so many people that I'm so grateful to have met them and to have had them in my life. And I've been so fortunate in my experience of religion has actually been very positive. Um, But at the same time, I know that, you know, people like yourself have experienced something quite the opposite. But, uh, you know, as you say, when we're raising consciousness and we're living with compassion and empathy for others, as you say, if it means that they open their heart and can see, you know, service to others is, is something which is powerful and they get that through their the religion that's that's beautiful um so you've been on quite a journey tony and uh, what i'm curious to know and, and maybe you can share with the listeners is how you then began to recover from this kind of suffering and the impact it had, had. and t- tell us and, and explain a little bit about the the journey of, of how you've been able to heal that suffering
1: yeah um I I always struggle with this question. (laughs) I always struggle because I I don't have a good answer. Mm. I don't. Um, The only thing that I could really ever attest to as far as how I've gotten where I'm at today um, is I I truly, and I'm I'm writing a book about this, this is part of what I coach on, um, is our own inner victim. I have never victimized myself. I have never said I am negative way because this happened. Mm. I am this traumatic kid because this happened. No, I am this beautiful man because all of this happened. I, I flip my victim all the time. I've always done that since I was a kid. It's something innate in me for whatever reason. Um, when I was getting beat up by my dad, um, my mom would come to me and she'd try to console me and I'd end up consoling her. Mm. Telling her that it was okay. Listen, mom, it's okay. It's just my guy. We'll just tell the teachers that I got a oh, oh. mm.
2: mm.
1: So I've always had this, and I don't know what it is. I can't teach this. I can talk about it enough so people can at least identify it and start working on it themselves. But um, our own inner victim will either drive the bus or be a passenger. That choice is yours. The inner victim is not
0: going away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's lovely that you, you've you been able to identify that and also to label it to the point where you kind of really understand it um, and acknowledge that it's, it exists, but you don't feed it. It's like the the story of the Indians where they talk about, you know, you inside of us, we have a, a hungry wolf and we have mm-hmm. the wolf that's satisfied and, and is good and, you know, is no danger. And whichever one is the one that comes out is the one that we feed. So it's whether we mm-hmm. feed the hungry wolf or feed, or feed the angry wolf or, or feed the, the happy wolf, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same
1: with a victim. You know, we've all I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. Everybody's like, how did you do it? Your journey, your journey. And I'm like, no, my journey is my journey. Your experience is also traumatic to you. Just yeah, because it wasn't the same as mine doesn't mean it wasn't bad. It, yeah, mean it really yeah. hurt you. Yeah. So you have to, as people, figure out your own victim, how they perpetrate your life. Mm, right? mm. How does your victim perpetrate your life? And, and start to get real, real like, romantic with your victim. Mm, start yeah. to you know, persuade your victim to sit in and pass you, love on your victim, love on that inner kid. Mm. child, just want it to be
2: safe.
1: Yeah. And that, and that would be my first suggestion to people when they're trying to, you know, even with their self-sabotage, what is it that you're running from or hiding from?
2: Mm.
1: That you're sabotaging yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's really good awareness because when people understand what it is that they're trying to avoid or running away from and where the self-sabotage is being driven from, that's a kind of first point where you can say, okay, now I understand myself. Mm -hmm. Now I understand Mm -hmm. what I'm afraid of or what I'm avoiding or what I'm Mm -hmm. judging myself about. And then you can start to actually address it. One of the first ways that we do that is absolutely through compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. for yourself. It starts from within, you know, I've got this saying that that love is an inside job and it totally is, you know, you have to start on your inside and on yourself first to be able to then be of service to others and love others. Because if you don't love yourself enough and you've got those toxic thoughts or those sabotaging beliefs or sabotaging behaviors, then you're not going to be able to be of service to others through the your heart and through giving and, and contributing
2: to others and and bringing out the best in them. Yeah. And as I said earlier, it takes work, Mm. work, Mm. work, 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 Totally long, long
1: time work. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one session. It's not going to happen this year. So, but if you want it to, it will happen. Mm. It, I mean, all of the time that you spend all, I tell all my clients um, especially around their fitness, around their health and things like that. How long did it take you to get to the weight that you're at? 12 years, right? That's how long it might take to get the opposite. Mm. Get it away. So
2: start doing the work now and don't expect it to come tomorrow because you will be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's really true. And I think
0: that's a, a good reality check for people who perhaps are looking for a quick fix that often nope, it doesn't come. And exactly. Yeah, you <laughs> got to work, at it. work at it. So tell yeah. us a little bit more, Tony, about the um, – the Mankind Project and okay. kind uh, stuff. Yeah, there. yeah. So
1: Mankind Project, I'm the leader of Indianapolis as a um, an inner emotional support and, and awareness organization that was I mean, done in the, uh, established in the 80s, and they do these men's retreats. We meet um, usually weekly, depending on your community. I'm the leader of Indianapolis. There's it's all over the world, some 35 uh, countries. Um, and, and we do a lot of, uh, certifications through the organization as well to help us become equipped with more facilitation skills, with more awareness skills, with more, um, adaptation skills, with more, um, ways to get rid of our toxic masculinity, problem solving. Um, and we, there's a format to it. Um, it's structured a little bit, um, it's free, it's open, um, it's, it's, Probably the safest place that I can think of for me to tell people of the truth, mm, which mm. nobody, nobody wants to hear, right? Nobody wants the truth. Mm. Give me that glossy, nice, whatever it truth. is, mm. I'm not so good with you, but this is, I would say, if you have a community, you can go on mankindproject.org. You can look for me. Um, I'm the leader of Indianapolis. I'm more than happy to help anybody try to find their safety.
0: That's great, Tony. Thank you. And and in terms of that organization, you know, what's their kind of... um, what's their approach to someone who's struggling maybe to, you know, maybe they're a, a leader and they're, they're the CEO of a, a company and they've got to be strong and they've got to show strength and show leadership. How can they then embrace this sort of, or reduce this toxic masculinity to try to introduce the, a more kind of broader, softer side that's, that's gonna be more, you know, conscious to others and, and bring out their potential and fully, fully bring yeah. out the best in others? Yeah,
1: a lot of people are really um, like enamored by this idea of bringing out their potential, right? We all are, Don't we, all, we all know this, but we all are already the gift. Like, there is nobody like you, Damien. nobody in the world. There is one, there is one Damien. And that gift is enough already. So we stop te- we, we, to these leaders, these CEOs, we say, Stop trying to impress upon everybody because you're already worth it. You're already beautiful. You're already amazing. A lot of times you're
2: trying to impress. Them like, I'm trying
1: to I want to impress my parents so that I can, you know. try to like unveil that that trauma, you know, that issue. You don't have to impress them. You don't have to make them happy anymore you don't have to do these things you know already you're amazing beautiful, and that there's nobody like you so um, just enjoy it um, we, we do a lot of things around there's a lot of leadership coaching there's a lot of um, emotional awareness right um, because we don't nobody tells us emotions my dad taught me one emotion anger mm-hmm. I didn't really learn how to love. I learned how to love through anger, sure. Oh, I learned yeah. to learn how, to, how to be sad. I learned how to be sad through anger,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? But don't cry, or I'll give you something to cry about. Mm-hmm. Um, shame, fear, guilt, sadness, joy. I mean, I, I got a little bit of joy from them because we were fishing. And like that. But, but outside of that, we're never really taught how to express emotions or how to deal with them, especially as men. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, sounds amazing! To, Did I answer uh, the question? I kind of went on a tangent. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> okay. I think you, no, 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 it's cool. I think
0: you know we've we've directed people in the in the place where they can find out more, and you've explained mm. it in in a, enough detail probably for people to say yes, it's for them, or they want to find out more, and they're curious, or or perhaps that they're they're not wanting to
2: pursue it. But uh, that's everyone's individual, and as you say, yeah. we're all unique, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and we're we're all unique, and people's time to have their own inner
1: journey. Will come when they're ready. Yeah. So we don't yeah, ever try okay. to, yeah. We don't ever try to force people into this because, as we know through all kinds of other experiences, you cannot force recovery
2: uh-uh. on anybody
1: emotional, addict, uh, addict related, or spiritual. You cannot force recovery on anybody.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So, uh-huh. So, you know, mankindproject.org, healthy masculine energy Facebook page. Uh, you can look at me up. I'm sure there's plenty of other opportunities and places that. Um, will promote this kind of same thing this inner journey this inner as you say love right loving yourself
0: mm. yeah absolutely so just kind of wrapping up our conversation mm. it's been lovely to talk to you Tony and oh, thank, thank you so much for sharing your journey and and talking so openly about some of your experiences what's the kind of one thing that you would tell the listeners right now to really give them hope that they can
2: overcome their sabotage what's the the kind of the closing remarks if you like mm. Um, yeah, it takes work and be honest with yourself,
1: you know, um, the, the pain of honesty is much, much less than the pain
2: of dishonesty.
1: The pain of lying is so great because you have to keep up that lie and then you have to tell yourself that lie and then you find yourself 50 or 60 years old
2: still living that lie.
1: Mm. So just, just be honest with yourself. Ask for help. Love yourself too. Yeah, that's the hard one, right? <laughs> love yourself, but love yourself enough enough to just be honest and then the rest of the work will come. And and don't don't stop.
0: It's- yeah. That's beautiful. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Once you start that journey of recovery and healing, it's, it's almost like a, a kind of door is opened, and you've gone through that threshold of the pain and suffering. You're ready for that healing. And beyond the threshold of the pain and suffering is that beautiful journey of going within and discovering who you truly are, the truth of what your potential is, and learning to love yourself again and learning how to cope with emotions and, and deal with that so and the work doesn't stop the work it doesn't exactly,
1: stop like once you go through exactly. the door
2: the work isn't
1: over right yeah. you don't get to sit yeah. on your couch and pretend like yeah. everything's fine because it's not yeah your, your trauma is sneaky yeah your self-justifier yeah. your self-judge your self-saboteur yeah. is sneaky work will continue and it yeah. doesn't stop
0: totally Totally. And it's a little bit, we always say that personal development and that growth and that journey is a little bit like showering and washing, you know, you mm, have to do mm. it on a frequent basis, because otherwise, you you know, other people begin to pick up on the toxicity of it. So, uh,
2: yeah, oh, totally get great. it. Yeah, it's a great metaphor.
0: Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm so grateful. And uh, I'll, I'll put all your contact details in the introduction so listeners yeah, can, uh, so can reach out to you. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and just kind of experiencing the, the journey. And it's been very
2: moving talking to you. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, so, Thank uh, you so much. I'd love to be on anytime. Anytime.
1: I, I, love, I love being able to talk about this stuff. I love being able to share this stuff. I love being able to have These conversations because it's why I wear the shirt so that we can start getting more comfortable. It's difficult, but we got
2: to do it.
0: Exactly. That's beautiful. Thanks, Tony. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Keep listening. Keep safe.
2: Thanks.